If you're an entrepreneur, you know how valuable the right support can be. We've heard tons about virtual assistants, but what about leveling up even further? Let's think about experts. I came across more staffing recently. They're not just about connecting businesses with virtual assistants. Instead, they focus on matching you with professionals from the Philippines. We're talking about finance, supply chain, operations, marketing, and others. The real kicker? More staffing goes the extra mile. They back their placements with a 12-month guarantee, and they even coach them for the first six months. This ensures you're getting someone who's not only skilled, but also integrates seamlessly into your operations. If you're ready to evaluate and transform your business, head over to morenow.co. Again, morenow.co. Next year's creeping up quick. If you want to skyrocket revenue in 2024, you need tech that puts you in the pilot seat. The new HubSpot Sales Hub will help you close out the year strong and kickstart your success for 2024. Teams can collaborate on every inch of the customer journey and keep operations running smoothly with a comprehensive prospecting workspace and powerful sales and analytics tools that keep data connected across teams. Speed up your workflows and navigate your platform with ease with the AI-powered conversational platform ChatSpot. And use AI Assistant to write copy, generate emails, and more. They'll help you whip up assets and execute tasks that used to take hours out of your workday. HubSpot Sales Hub lets you accelerate every facet of your sales operation with precision. And with over 1,400 integrations, there are tons of ways to mix in new features. So finish out Q4 strong and gear up for the new year with HubSpot Sales Hub. Learn more at hubspot.com sales. What's up, DTC Pod? Today, we're joined by Rosa Lee, who is the founder and CEO at Wild Wonder. So Rosa, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the brand that you guys are building and a little bit about yourself and your personal background? Awesome. Great to be here, Blaine. Thanks for having me. Wild Wonder is a heritage-inspired sparkling drink with gut health benefits. So these drinks are inspired by my grandmother, who uh, raised me for the first 12 years of my life. She brewed a lot of these healing tonics with just a symphony of wild herbs and botanicals that are really good for my health. So fast forward to growing at me, I had a lot of stressful jobs and started to see the effect of that on my body. And I actually had digestive issues. I started to look into became a true believer in gut health, which I can talk more about. Essentially, went back to grandma's homemade tonics and decided to put a modern twist on ancient wisdom and create a delicious drink that essentially is the first one to combine both prebiotics and probiotics. And I like to say Wild Wonder is the combination of grandma wisdom with the concept of a California produce stand. Sweet. I I think we're going to have so much to talk about on this episode. I mean, you guys have grown tremendously. You guys are already at eight figures in terms of revenue. So I'd love if you just take us back. We've kind of got the idea for the concept of the brand, but I'd love to know, you know, a little bit more about your personal background professionally. Like, where were you in your career when you launched this brand? What really made you take the leap and have conviction that that this was the the right brand and right product to, to start building? Yeah, I mean... I did not come from food and beverage. I always loved the industry. I'm a, a huge foodie myself. Prior to founding Wild Wonder, I was actually in finance. So I worked as a property and venture investor at a large fund. And I you know, traveled a lot. It was a very stressful lifestyle, which actually led to some, you know, just more stress and health impact. So Definitely started looking into this area when I was in business school at Stanford. So Stanford is obviously very well known for creating that entrepreneurial spirit and environment. And I worked alongside many other startups, actually helped a friend 
launch their business and e-commerce business afterwards. So after a series of startup experiences, I thought, you know, I could start something and start really focus my attention on something I'm personally passionate about. And that's really to bring these gut healthy and heritage inspired ingredients to the masses. So I would say my very first venture was a, it was not a wild one. There was actually a loosely teas and herbs business because again, grandma wisdom. So really love the space and very, learned very quickly that, you know, dry teas and herbs really aren't the most convenient. So we're all pretty lazy here and wanted to create a more convenient format to consume better for you ingredients. And that's really what, you know, ended up being wild wonder. It was learnings from all, all, everything that, I, you know, from the, the initial venture and turn it into the product today. Yeah, I think it's it's always really important to kind of scratch your own itch and understand that when you're building a product, you're building for yourself as well. You you can kind of be the North Star of early stages of product development, where you want, where you see the market going. So why don't you take us back there? What, when you were just starting the brand, what did it take to get started? What are some things that maybe someone who's looking to launch a brand in the CPG or the beverage space, like, what did you learn? What did you find out? And what did it take to get this product from an idea to like an actual physical product that you were ready to sell? Yeah, great question. I actually used to ask that question to many other people. And I would say having gone through this whole process and learned so much is to get a product out there as soon as possible. Um, I was definitely a perfectionist and maybe still am. You know, it, it feels like, oh, if something's not ready and I wanted to make it as good as possible. And I would say consumer feedback is so important and time is money. Now, knowing everything I know, I would always push for just getting something out there and getting as much feedback as possible and essentially to shorten that feedback loop. So if, you know, you can iterate um, faster, that's always better. And you never know what people will say about the product. And it's very rare for a brand to land on the perfect product right away. So it's actually better to just get something out there and at least get some feedback. And that learning means so much in terms of, you know, what a product should be. Even like when we first launched Wild Wonder, it was in a glass bottle and um, it, it looks quite different from what it does now. And what we learned from that was a lot of people were saying, hey, this feels like more of like a kombucha that you have to nurse over time. And they actually felt like it was wasteful for 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 them to go through multiple bottles a day. So which means we're not going to have, have as high repeat or high velocity. So we were trying to drive up the accessibility, the approachability of the product by turning it into a can, which they can also, you know, there people are more used to drinking multiple cans throughout the day because it's like a seltzer, right? Or sparkling water. So that really changed the packaging and we immediately saw an increase in velocity in stores. And, and that was also a learning from COVID. As you probably remember, everyone's quarantined. There's very little traffic in the grab and go section of the stores. So we basically said it was the best way for e-commerce and, you know, being in a can form, reduced breakage, reduced the shipping costs. So actually made the whole experience a lot better. So that's something that, you know, we had to basically learn from talking to people and getting feedback and made the, the brand so much better. 
Yeah. And the next question I have in terms of the early stages of like the product development, I think taking customer feedback, iterating on it is obviously key, especially for a lean um, brand in the beginning stages. But what did it actually take to get your first batch to market? Like how big was your first PO? How much capital did you need to like start off? How long did it take to go from idea to, you know, a bottled, I guess, at that stage sort of product? Yeah, yeah, that actually was a really interesting story because I had planned to launch a food service. You know, March twenty March twenty twenty was when Wild Wonder launched, and I actually drove my whole booth down to Expo West with the intention of launching at the trade show, and obviously the whole world shut down. So, uh, and then we had to have a very different launch strategy. So, I actually pitched the product to a lot of offices. So. The very health conscious offices like Google and Meta and LinkedIn, they all stock beverages and snacks for their employees. So when I first pitched them, I just went to a chef and I had this person taste the product and he really liked it. And this this is before I even had a product. I just brought liquid. So <laughs> that whole idea is better for you. It's lower sugar. It's got functional benefits. I tracked this person down, essentially stock them and you know, figured out a way to to get in front of them. And they liked it. And they actually invited me to one of those tasting shows. And it was basically brands like Cliff Bar and very established brands. And, you know, this will be like the first time I would unveil this product and I had no product. So I actually basically homemade everything in my kitchen. I made the liquid and I, I bought these swing top bottles from Amazon to basically pour the liquid and actually hand bottled a, I mean, basically it was a glass bottle, which is the only thing I could find. And I printed out this label and just like stuck it on there just to make it look like it was a real product. But I really had no product back then. So then basically I did the show and everyone loved it and they actually voted for me. <laughs> and then they, and I think this was Uber. And then they said, hey, you know, we want a product. And then I had my first PO and I said, okay, we're, where do I go produce it? I now need product. So then I found out that there's a co-packer. This is back in the early days. I think they're still around. Basically, they're you know in Northern California, up in Sonoma, and I, I begged them to basically produce for me. And they you know wouldn't give me the the time of day. I basically figured out who the owner is, and I figured out when he was going to be there, and. He just cornered him and I just would not leave the place until he said yes to me. Finally gave me the okay to say, hey, you can produce a small batch, but I have to basically abide by their timeline because they want to make sure when it comes to uh, producing these drinks, they like to match the packaging so they don't have to change lines as much. So I had to go based on timeline when another beverage in the same bottle was producing. So then, you know, this guy was like, well, this is the one day you know, we can produce for you. Do you want to take it or not? And of course, I was going to say yes. So basically, I had to just rush to make things happen and had that first batch. Honestly, I don't remember how large that was. It was the 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 largest, I think it was like the smallest they could do and the largest I could afford. So <laughs> it's whatever like day, you know, number they gave me, I had to take it. And then, yeah, that's how I had my uh, first batch of products. So I had the product and I was going to, you know, launch it and a show. And obviously the show was shut down. And so I couldn't talk to buyers. So I had to go figure out how to sell all the products because the offices were shut down as well. And I had nowhere to sell the products. So the first, I would say, 
starting the first year when everyone was quarantining, I just went door to door. I live in San Francisco, so it's up and down the street, every single independent store that could talk to me. And I was basically in a mask and selling to the buyers while they were stocking the shelves. I even offered free labor to help them stock the shelves so they could like me better. And obviously, it's like a high-risk environment, but I got bottles to sell. So I was just selling door-to-door. And by the end of year one, we were in about 100 doors, and that includes our local Whole Foods. So that was just really about survival. And the other thing we did to really generate sales, even though the offices were closed, I basically leveraged those relationships and sent them to our e-commerce site. So also built Shopify within basically for three or four months and because we had to and directed traffic from office channel to online channel and actually drove some sales as well. So instead of having people you know, enjoy the drinks in their offices. We were taking care of them at home and sent care packages. And also learned that there's just way too much breakage with these glass bottles and it's not scalable. So that's, you know, will also drove the other decision to turn everything to cans. And that happened in 2021. Okay, so we've got a lot to unpack there. I'm very curious about what you kind of said, how you've kind of got a couple initial customers in terms of these big kind of like tech enterprises who are buying for their office employees, and then you're still going door to door and you're selling. What was the team like? Was it just you? How were you managing the relationships between 100 doors and being able to, you know, manage unguaranteed production, call it, plus like a mix of a whole bunch of different doors, plus like different office channels? How are you managing this yourself? Was it a team? Like what did that process of management look like in the early days? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I basically just worked 24-7. It was myself and had one employee. And it's really funny because I had hired this employee right before COVID, thinking, oh, we're going to grow so much. We're going to launch this product. And then COVID hit. And I was sitting back here and thinking, wow, did I make a mistake in hiring someone? But I decided this is, you know, the time we really need to survive. And it was a great decision because my number one employee is now my director of operations and he has also helped me grow the business so much. So it was a team of two. And we basically, between the two of us, we build a website, we, you know, significantly improve the product. And I was basically doing all the sales from retail to food service. And we did not hire a second team member until I want to say like mid-year the following year. Got it. And what, why don't you, yeah, what, let's talk a little bit about scaling up those ops, right? Um, what did the next wave look like? I know you said you made some product iterations, so you moved to cans, but what did the next call it phase of operations look like? Were you scaling up your sales into office as people were maybe starting to come back to office after COVID? Were you scaling doors? Were you scaling e-commerce? Like how, how did the operations grow? Yeah, so we were basically, we had this omni-channel approach where we wanted to touch the same customer throughout their day from when they're, say, working in the office. If it's not in the office, and then there might be a hybrid model to grabbing food from a cafe to, you know, shopping in a store to shopping online. So it's not so much about the timing of the different channels, but it's really about going deep, not wide. So we, I really just focused on San Francisco. Northern California, and it was every cafe that's open as wanting to take products. Offices weren't really open until I want to say like, gosh, like 
2022, maybe some 2021, um, but very little volume. And we were just doing whatever, whoever would be like a good customer. And but within the same geography to really be very capital efficient and build as much self-aware, self, uh, as much brand awareness as possible. So we were going to a lot of the independents, some of the chain accounts all within the same geography. We launched D2C. We were also doing cafes. And then once the offices were open, we started pitching offices. Awesome. And and talk to me a little bit about, yeah, let's like go a little bit deeper on the go-to-market there, right? You guys have done a whole bunch of different mm-hmm. stuff. You guys have been on Shark Tank. Like, Talk to me about the ways in which once you understood there was like initial demand for the product, like what else did you do to to start to grow, right? Yeah, so we actually didn't do too much marketing because to me, you got to have the distribution in order for marketing to be effective um, because we need to provide availability of the product in order for people to purchase. So a lot of our efforts were focused on the local market. And it's more like grassroots. So for instance, once, you know, we are in stores, we will be doing demos and we would be doing local events as much as possible to really drive awareness. And in terms of like launch strategy, it's always been the same omni-channel strategy. It's retail, it's food service online. And, you know, when we launched in Southern California at the beginning of 2022, and you can probably do the math. We didn't really go outside of our market, our local market for a while because we really wanted to go deep. And the market in, in California is, is huge. So even now we still have a lot of white space. So we didn't need to actually, you know, launch nationally or launch on the East Coast, which obviously is very attractive for a lot of people. But to me, you know, running a sustainable business is very important. Um, and making sure that our operations are as lean as possible and as, as efficient as possible. That's important for me. So we actually stayed in Northern California and then only expanded to Southern California in 2022. And then also just went with all the cafes and the independents, especially chains that would be really on brand for us. And that way the same customer can be reminded of Wild Wonder, you know, maybe it's when they're in a workspace and in the in the store and browsing the website. Yeah. And one of the great things about CPG is the fact that, you know, when we talk about marketing, sometimes just retail or cafes or offices is the best marketing, right? Like you've designed a really pretty compelling product. It's something that people see, you get it on shelves, you get more eyeballs, etc. So I think that leads me to my next question, which is let's talk about the development of the actual brand. When you look at the Drink Wild Wonder website, it's, you know, it's super colorful. Your brand is it's really it's fun, but it's also like you can tell who it's it's speaking to. It's really colorful. It's fun. It's it's amazing. But why don't you you said you guys started in the bottles? What was the initial brand like was and how did you develop it? Did you work with designers? At what time did you start to you know, really invest and start to turn Wild Wonder from a product into a real brand. Yeah, and, and thank you. Thought a lot about the brand. Obviously, if you think about the category, we actually started 2020. We didn't really have this whole prebiotic soda or functional soda category. Back then, it was kombucha. And a lot of the functional beverages people found really intimidating, including kombucha. If you think about the packaging for a lot of kombuchas, very serious 
very health forward, which is great, but more serious. So we really wanted to bring more approachability to the category with something that's very whimsical, that's really fun and approachable. So that was the whole idea of Wild Wonder. And, you know, the, the design elements and the patterns did not change from bottles and cans, even though the, the form factor changed. So the brand um, personality is always there and it's been the same. We obviously iterate on packaging over time based on consumer feedback. So we, yeah, like I would say that's, you know, what draws a lot of people to us is really the packaging because it's so fun. And like, they didn't feel that, you know, functional beverage needs to be intimidating or requires a, a lot of knowledge. They were drawn to just how approachable and uplifting the packaging is. Oh, yeah. And then just to answer your other question about like who it works with. So the brand is really about creating everyday wonders. And for those undervoiced in our communities as well. So we actually worked with this woman, I guess this woman founded design shop in Berkeley, very close to where I live. And we generally wanted to collaborate with people who also would embrace this kind of mission. So worked a lot with diverse and female based design people. Amazing. And transitioning outside of like the design and the operations, I want to talk a little bit about Shark Tank and your experience there. What was it like being a CPG brand? What stage were you guys at when you went on? And what was the impact from going on the show? Yeah, I I definitely encourage everyone to do Shark Tank. If you have a physical product, it's truly life-changing. And I would say we aired on Shark Tank in January. So I taped last September. It was, I mean, honestly, I knew that was going to be very impactful. I did not know about the magnitude. Um, of impact. So I would say when it aired, we went immediately out of stock on Amazon. And like within two hours, we're out of stock and we stopped. Amazon gives you a maximum storage limit. So then we basically stocked everything to the max and it went out of stock. And so immediately everyone went to our website, which is also great because we had a direct relationship with everyone from Shark Tank. And we also saw a huge lift in terms of velocity. Like a lot of our, we were national with sprouts. So a lot of stores went out of stock and that's harder to control, right? I, I couldn't call all the stores and tell them to stock up on Wild Wonder. So I know just from our data, a lot of stores went out of stock and we had a lift in terms of purchase orders from all the distributors as well. And the brand awareness that Shark Tank provided was just huge because it's 4 million viewership. All of a sudden, we had national brand awareness. And I remember this moment um, on Shark Tank when Mark Cuban tried the Strawberry Passion. That's our number one seller. And he said, really resonated with the message that we're here to really expand the market for kombucha with no ferment fermented taste. And he said, oh, I can't stand kombucha, but I can drink this all day long. He actually chugged the whole can of strawberry passion. And uh, he said, I'll go buy it. And immediately, you know, the sales of strawberry passion just like shot up because of what he said. And I mean, that's the true influencer. So, you know, we we're able to basically make a whole month of sales in one week because of Shark Tank. And I had thought, OK, well, you know, we're going to get a peak in sales. Our customer service team is going to love it. Our warehouse is going to love it because they're going to have to work overtime for a long time to fulfill those orders. And But then sales will come down to normal and everything is like business as normal. 
what ended up happening was Shark Tank completely catapulted us to a whole different level. So our baseline was lifted. Uh, We actually just continued to have sales increase over time. So that was truly amazing because I think what happened was the brand awareness really helped people to understand, you know, Wild Wonder. I mean, first find out about Wild Wonder, all the benefits we offer, and they actually continue to come back. So actually really increase our metrics across the board, not just sales, but also we had a higher repeat purchase rate. We had more higher average order bulk, which is truly amazing because it's a testament to brand. We didn't have, we didn't do any marketing before. Now that there is the impact of marketing, people actually are saying, hey, this is validation and this is, you know, we really love the product and we're coming back for it. Every time we come back, we're buying more. We are really excited to announce that DTC Pod is officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals, and we're really excited about being part of the network because we're going to be able to keep growing the show, bringing you guys amazing guests, and obviously helping you guys learn from the best founders, marketers, and builders of the most successful consumer brands. So anyway, keep listening to DTC Pod and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash podcast network that's amazing and and what what happened for maybe for the the listeners who didn't tune into your episode Ugh. what 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 ended up going down was there a deal was there no deal how to go down yeah there was a deal and in general they always tell you if you make a deal obviously your sales would increase regardless um, but if you make a deal you will get more sales so we actually made a deal with a guest shark, Tony Shu, who is a CEO of DoorDash. So just for, for those who don't know, I don't know if you watch Shark Tank, there's usually five sharks, five panelists, and four of them are regular sharks that you always see. They have a, a one guest shark and they try to match the guest shark with the company industry. So right before I went on to tape, they told me, hey, you you'll have a guest shark who's in uh, food tech. They try to, to make as close as possible. There's no food entrepreneurs who, who was going to be a shark. And when they said it's going to be food tech, and I actually thought to myself, hey, wouldn't it be cool if it's like someone like DoorDash because then they could distribute my product. I had no idea who it's going to be. And then immediately before the show or before taping, they said it's is DoorDash CEO. And it was literally like, wow, this is meant to be. So that's a shark I wanted. And I was thinking, you know, I don't actually care about getting a deal from anyone, but I want a deal from Tony Shu. Yeah. So that was the intention and the plan. And, and it just happened that he really resonated with my story. So I talked about being raised by my grandparents for the first 12 years of my life in China while my parents immigrated here. He also comes from an immigrant family. And I don't think they air this part, but he actually said, you know, I was also raised by my grandparents. I was also, I also spent the first 12 years of my life in China. And then we also both went to the Stanford for business school, Stanford GSB for business school. So he actually said during the show, hey, didn't we go to school together? (laughs) And I think that really helped to build rapport and build that connection and I'm just also really happy that he believes in the product and so made a deal and that he actually onboarded us to the DoorDash platform. So we're now available via Dashmart and we're doing some other things to deepen that partnership, which is, you know, obviously tremendously helpful because 
not only is he providing financial capital, he's also helping us out with widening our distribution. Yeah, I think that part is is so is so important. And one of the reasons we're re- we're really excited to have you on the pod is because I think you guys have done an awesome job of not doing what everyone does when it comes to beverage. Like even your initial reaction to say, oh, why don't mm-hmm. I get in the offices at Uber and and some of these other tech companies? Like that's not something everyone who's starting a CPG brand does, right? And like thinking about, oh, how can mm-hmm. I tap into an investor who's got who's got kind of these this synergistic distribution network like that's something that i think is really really important as an entrepreneur because some of the best opportunities are where maybe everyone else isn't looking so one question that i'd have that that i'd love to kind of hear you think as the company scales as you grow what are some other you know ideas that you have for where you guys might look to look to unlock new levels of distribution are you thinking wholesale are you thinking other last mile partners are you thinking more deepening the relationships with other you know restaurants or food delivery providers like how do you tap into maybe channels that aren't so traditionally or maybe are more traditionally overlooked yeah definitely i mean i'm always thinking about alternative channels ways that not only build distribution but also brand awareness and product trials so not a lot of people focus on food service and food service is very broad. You know, some people think about food service as cafes. Some people think of it as, you know, for me, it's, it's a lot of office pantry because that's huge volume. And I still manage all for office pantry food service business. And and there's no there's no other sales manager for that. And And it tells you how much leverage I can have with sales just through that one channel. And I would say, you know, the way I think about it is what's going to drive more volume and what is the ROI with every dollar we invest? And that's how I decide on where to go. So everyone finds like retail very attractive. I'm not saying it's not. It's, it's truly the, the holy grail. Um, but at the beginning, beverage is very capital intensive uh, and retail is very expensive. You don't get a lot of volume from one store, but, you know, you could get a hundred times the volume from one office. So, and that's how I thought about it at the beginning. When we had no capital, I bootstrapped the business at the beginning. I didn't have a team. I had one employee. So, and I was thinking, how do I make, you know, what's, what's the highest leverage with my time uh, and with every dollar I spend? That's how I decide. And I think nowadays, you know, as we have higher brand, more brand awareness, we can actually go into retail when awareness is there, the return is also higher because people are looking for our products. I do think that there's plenty of opportunities out there with alternative channels. And that actually ends up drive ends up driving retail velocity and the return on investment in retail. Yeah, I, I love that. Rosa, my next question was going to be, where do we where do we go from here? Right. Like, I think that the category that you guys are building in is really interesting you guys have tapped into a whole bunch of different channels to like grow the brand to like really build deep in in specific markets and then scale out from there but like as we look to the future for the brand like what comes next how do you think about the market as a whole right like i think what we see now we see more and more people launching beverage brands in the functional soda space in the beverage space like what as you th- how do you think about the market are things getting 
harder to compete? Like, how do you, where do you go from here? Yeah, great question. I'm always thinking about that. And I would say, I think Beverage has always been very competitive. I don't think it's any different than before. I've always seen like constantly new beverages launched every day. I would say the way I think about it is, do we offer something different than the rest of the market? And I do think the answer is yes, because if you think about the functional sodas, a lot of people are, you know, only pop and popular doing super well. They're creating this whole new category of prebiotic sodas that are essentially making gut health also more approachable, which is awesome. And I think with that wave, that's actually opening up a lot of opportunities for this space because people are finding, hey, it's not just kombuchas. There's this whole new category being built and every brand in that category is growing at the same time. And buyers are actually coming to Wild Wonder and telling us, well, you know, we're looking for something more uniquely flavored because not everyone's going after a cola drink or a, you know, cream soda flavor. They're looking for something different because people always have, you know, different interests and preferences. Uh, we got to keep the customer entertained at all times. So, you know, we come in a space, even though it's a bubbly drink, it's a healthy soda alternative, but we have more uniquely flavored drinks that have, you know, more of a botanical and cultural influence. So we're bringing a different, you know, customer in into the space. We're also providing incremental revenue to the retail shelves and beyond what kombucha and all the cola flavored drinks are offering. So the other trend that's really helpful for us is, you know, kombucha obviously has done a great job building up a category, but not everyone is used to that acquired taste. And we actually see the category plateauing for some reason, right? Because it's fermented, it's very vinegary, uh, and it's quite serious. So it's not for the everyday consumer. So that's what buyers also like about us is we provide kombucha benefits without the vinegar. There's both prebiotic and probiotics in the drink is a more holistic way to approach gut health. And it's a very easy swap for, you know, you can, you can very easily uh, convert from a kombucha to a wild wonder. And for those people who would have appreciated probiotics, but just don't like the taste can also enjoy us. So I would say, you know, when I think about a category or even like any product, um, the positioning is really key is can we actually, is there a white space and can we provide a different perspective and a different offering to really take advantage of this growing category? The last thing I do want to talk about is uh, exactly what you had mentioned. It's positioning, it's differentiating a product in a, a crowded market, especially one that might require education and especially one that you may not have the opportunity to educate as much because you're a beverage, you're on a shelf, you've got limited space on the can to educate. And I know education is really important, especially when it comes to something like gut health and the benefits that you provide. So how as a company do you guys think about education, right? Like this is something that every brand, whether you're CPG, whether you're product focused, you're constantly thinking about position. How do I communicate to my customer? How do I educate them about what it is I do and what the benefit is to them? So I just love your take and your perspective on how you guys approach product education. Yeah. I mean, education is definitely very expensive as a small brand. We don't have a lot of budget for marketing. So, you know, when it's a, a product is so different, you do have to do more education. The good thing is there's enough awareness of gut health out there and people generally know it's good for you. People generally know that probiotics are good for you. 
So we're not trying to tell people, hey, gut health is important. We're just trying to say we're making gut health more accessible and really delicious. So we generally try to do education in different ways, obviously through our website, but if people are not constantly browsing our website, we do it via social as well. So, and this is something we can definitely do more of. We just haven't really had the resources to do a ton of education, but more so relied on bigger brands who have already educated the market and taking advantage of that. So I think as a small brand, that's always something to think about sometimes. You know, it's actually better to be a second mover than a first mover. Uh, when someone has already built out a category and somewhat educated the market, then you can come in to the category with a slightly different perspective and still attract a lot of customers. So, <laughs> you know, this is, this is how I think from a little more perspective. <laughs> that's no, that's that's exactly. That's the that's the exact answer I was looking for. And I think that's 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 right on the money. It's sometimes educating when you're educating from zero is really difficult. You will get some, you know, maybe you're the first brand to do it. But once the market's been warmed up, once you've got other companies dumping massive amounts of spending into education, like you're saying, it doesn't it doesn't make sense for you guys to say mm -hmm. to teach everyone what gut health is. They know that education has already been done. It's your job to be able to capture the consumer attention, link it to the concept and the trend yeah. and be able to provide the solution in a really easy and accessible way. So Rosa, as we wrap up here, where can, where can our audience connect with you or where can you find, where can we find you? Why don't you shout out your socials as well as, I don't know, are you, are you guys on LinkedIn, Twitter, and then where can we find and shop uh, yeah. Wild Wonder? At Drink Wild Wonder is our handle for all social media platforms. We're also on LinkedIn and we're active on TikTok and Instagram the most. Obviously, our website is drinkwildwonder.com. You can find our store locator there for a store near you. Sweet. And what about you? Where can we connect with you? I am at Rosalie Says. And Rosa Wildwonder.com is my email. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Rosa. We had a great time, learned a lot, and excited to see you guys continue to grow. Thank you, Blaine. Really fun having a conversation with you. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on DTCPod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.